In this episode, I am joined by Adam Curry. Adam grew up in a small town in Northern California and went on to attend UCLA. While in college, he started a cannabis delivery company that quickly grew to six figures a month in revenue and was featured in popular news publications such as Now This. While still being in college, his company was acquired by a publicly traded cannabis solutions company for over half a million dollars. Adam then went on to work in product at Visa and now is a product manager at a venture-funded fintech startup called Highline. Adam is one of the most social people I know and has a strong entrepreneurial mindset. Everyone, please welcome Adam. Welcome to the Abundance Mindset Podcast, where we discuss entrepreneurship and mindset design. My mission is to leave you with actionable steps and inspiration to make change in your own life. Guests on the podcast will consist of millionaires, celebrities, and anyone who's adopted the Abundance Mindset. I'm your host, Nathan Iyer. What's up, Adam? How are you? I am doing just lovely. How are you, Nathan? Good, good. You're in Dallas right now? Briefly, yes, but I am moving to Bushwick, New York, August 21st. Very cool. I will be leaving New York like August 19th, <laughs> coming to Dallas. So I perfect, guess we'll perfect. miss each other. Um, but yeah, Adam, thanks for coming on my podcast. Um, before we like jump into any entrepreneurship stuff, could you give a quick background on yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Adam Curry. I grew up in a small town in Northern California. Uh, I am, I've been in the tech entrepreneurship world. I started when I was 18 in college, as I feel like some people do, I think truly just out of the need to uh, default to action rather than in take knowledge or learn. I would, I, I just like doing things. And so once you're out of that house and on your own, it feels right to run your own, you know, thing, whatever that might be. Um, but now I'm a product manager at a tech startup, venture funded, you know, place, 20 of us, grinding out fintech stuff. Um, it's been very fun, very rewarding. And who knows where I'm going in the future. This might be a relic in five years if either of us make it, which would be pretty funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, interested in all things entrepreneurship, life adventure, uh, just like living it. That's the goal. Yeah, the goal is to make it a relic. I know um, I had a YouTuber on my podcast a while back and literally the day or two after he came on my podcast, he had like 2000 subscribers at the time that he came on. And then a few days later, he had over 10K because he had one video that blew up. And I was like, dang. Wow, you have I, the touch. Yeah, I was like, I, I got him when I was early on the curve. Um, nice. Yeah, so awesome. So kind of what I wanted to start off with talking about is something from your college days, which is your um, startup. Remind me the name of it. Puff Pack. Puff Pack, yeah. So, um, Let's start there. Could you give kind of a description of what PuffPack was? Yeah, the two-minute two pitch, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. PuffPack's a very simple idea. Um, PuffPack is a uh, direct-to-consumer subscription box for cannabis users. So it's basically like a weed-smoking box. And um, you would subscribe. There are three levels of packs. It was either a economist pack, which was like a lighter, tips, and papers for a dollar a month plus dollars shipping and handling. The mediator was like a middle level pack with like a dube tube and some grinders and like stuff like that. And the third pack was the artisan where we would ship glass. Um, but it was really like riding the wave of all these subscription boxes. This was 2015. So it was right when Dollar Shave Club started pushing like kind of viral marketing content on YouTube. Like, you know, there's that 
super traditional ad of like the guy walking through the warehouse with like bare arms and throwing tape around and like pitching Dollar Shave Club. Um, so, so this was like a, I mean, I think like Shopify wasn't even that advanced at the point, like you'd have a ton of plugins, even support subscription, recurring payments. Stripe really wasn't like that, that huge at the moment. So, um, there was definitely a barrier to entry to these subscription boxes, but the test there to have these D 2 C brands like start launching. Um, so my great friend and business partner at the time, Justin and I, uh, decided to launch a subscription box and logically the thing that we could touch that a lot of like larger companies and more professional people couldn't was cannabis it was like getting legalized it was legal in california and of course we weren't actually touching weed itself we were touching all the accoutrements around it um and and so yeah at the highest level it is it is just a subscription box and the thing we happened to be subscribing was cannabis products that's great. So you saw Dollar Shave Club using the model and then you applied the model to cannabis or did you kind of come up with it? Yeah. So yeah, this is actually like a great, so Joe, Justin and I connected literally at orientation. It's like one of those life moments where you can't write it better than it happens. Like we literally were in the same orientation group at UCLA, which is, you know, there's, you know, 10,000 kids coming in every, every year. So they have like 15 different sessions you can join. And so the odds you run into someone at the same session, at the same place of the same subgroup of the session is like very slim. Right. Uh, but I remember being in the dorms with Justin and just like ranting about like Robin hood was this new thing and accessing, you know, stocks for the first time for the person, like all these, all this technology. And Justin is that frankly, like a much more talented entrepreneur than me. He, he had already kind of been in this headspace of like building businesses in high school and to me it was a black box to, to, i mean you know when you're 18 like how do you start a business like where, where is even the first step the, 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 i think these like um monoliths or these institutions around us feel so cemented in reality like visa inc credit card processing it's such a given that this huge company connects all these cards all these merchants that just exists right but it didn't at one point and I think the idea of building from the beginning to like where Visa is now truly was just a black box to me. But fortunately, Justin had some experience. And so um, both of us were not lacking in the competence and kind of ignorance department when it came to our own potential, um, meaning we were just high conviction individuals. And so we started off college writing down basically every business idea we had uh, that could reasonably be launched from a dorm room. So it was anything from, you know, I could actually literally, I still have a list somewhere in my notes. Um, anything from like delivering laundry to people's dorms, subscribing to toothpastes, to running things back and forth from different parts of LA. Like we were just thinking of what we could do that was cheap and easy. And this idea that we settled upon uh, was a subscription box and it was a cannabis subscription box. It was like everything stoners need that, that they aren't able to really get without getting out to a smoke shop and then having these, you know, just buying a dollar pack of papers or just buying a lighter when they know they deplete these materials regularly, right? So it was a pretty cut and dry demographic we were targeting. And it was a pretty accessible idea. I mean, we're not dealing with super complex tech for like building a website and launching a brand. We aren't dealing with high margin items, like overheads low and we can literally stay up all night and miss tests and pack from the dorms did you use shopify initially or no yeah we used um a wordpress site that was built with woocommerce 
And I think we transitioned to Shopify. It might've been when I was out already that Puffpack transitioned to Shopify. But we started out with a WordPress site using a bunch of third-party plugins. And like the problem is, I don't think Shopify would take us to do payment processing because there's like a, a subset of uh, payment processing for high-risk items, which is like, you know, illegal activities, drugs, tobacco, like, uh, you know, uh, 18 plus stuff basically where payment processors see a ton of fraud, a ton of chargebacks and like legal gray areas that they don't want to process. So like, I think the only way we could actually reasonably process payments online was to go through like really sus third-party payment processors pay like triple mark over market to get credit card processing and build our own assortment of like, of like plugins and stuff. So it was a very, very janky beginning um, when it came to the website. Yeah. I mean, honestly, those are the best beginnings. So you said that there's, there wasn't a lot of overhead. What did the initial cost like of the startup, like, what did that look like? How much money did you put in yourself? I had an Excel. I think it was like three grand I had saved through high school. Um, And like, that was it. It was literally 3000. And I, I don't even think at the time, Justin had 3k. So I think we had a list somewhere that was like, Justin owes half, Justin owes half, Adam owes half to like the little payments we were making just like a Google sheet. Um, But yeah, it was extremely low overhead. And like the good thing was a lot fell in our favor, but you didn't really need to put in a ton of capital to like launch a tiny website and see traffic get going and use like sort of guerrilla marketing techniques. Like some of our first customers, once the website was up and running, we were on Omegle pretending to be on the chat function, like a 19 year old girl chatting with random guys being like check out my website it just launched like go go like see you know, like weed like yeah check this out like it's crazy and we would like chat like we have like 10 tabs open each just chatting people just to test those very first few transactions did you get traction from that i think we got like maybe two guys who were like yeah this looks crazy like the blah 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 because it was very new and like might have bought something i don't even remember i think i think our first subscriber was my mom uh, who was like, you know, on the fence about me launching like this weed business. But I, I think, um, you know, the logic of entrepreneurship prevailed over the fact that it had to do with cannabis. Um, so she would like have like four different subscription accounts just helping us test like payment processing and all these random like nuances we were trying to launch. Did you ever get like a grant from your school or like any type of funding or was it 100% funded by you guys? No, I think that's what was actually kind of frustrating about, I mean, UCLA is like a powerhouse school. It's brilliant kids and a lot of endowment. You know, it's like, it's like a good place. Um, And we were just getting nothing from the university. I remember we were like trying to find like a storage closet to like keep our items in or like even find a resource that would let us use extra space so we could pack packs comfortably at night. Our dorm was getting too full. And I'll sort of tell the story of our big launch too, because that's, that's a good one. But, you know, finding some sort of entrepreneurship grant or, you know, the only things that were available were like weird pitch competitions where you can make like, you know, three grand or five grand. And like, frankly, for these really low margin ideas, that's not what you need. Like when, when you're launching a business at that age, completely new lessons, completely new everything there were resources to like help define your business model or help like make a logo or figure out what your like tagline is going to be. Like that's all the easy stuff. Like you can, you can put on paper, like how your economic unit economics work and what your launch strategy is. And like, before you do it, because it's new, who's to say a good or bad, like, you know, if you're launching something new, a novel, no one, there's not history there to say like, Oh, this works, this doesn't right. Like influencer marketing is very new at the time. 
there's no way any of these like entrepreneurship resources were telling us to go to influencers in our subset and like send them free stuff and write a handwritten note and cold email 15 different people and do it a third time and a fourth time and type their domain with their first name, first, last name, first name, last initial. Like these are the tools that got us to like get some like leverage in the market. Not like, oh, your business model needs to consider like, you know, you, you, you should be operating at 10% margin versus 12% if you're going to do whatever. Sure. Um, so yeah, we didn't get much. That makes sense. Um, do you think also the category of your business, like being a weed, weed business that might've influenced? I want to say so, but honestly, I think we were looking for like just generic entrepreneurship resources and like, they really weren't there. Like we were joking, like if we make it big, like we're going to be the ones that go back to UCLA and like hold a bunch of money ransom to say like, okay, we're going to donate, but you need to like have a dedicated entrepreneurship space, right? Um, yeah. Which the dream might still be alive, but yeah, it's it just kind of crazy. So anyway, we, we were walking, like we would like walk around like the engineering buildings, like asking like faculty to use like their storage closets. And like, we like ended up finding a FedEx in Westwood that was willing to let us use their back room. Um, and that was literally just like, for free. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they would fulfill our packs for us. So they were getting like essentially guaranteed shipping volume. Um, but you know, it, it was, it, it actually just happened naturally, right. Where every day we're packing packs and then like running these like shipments down into the town and dropping them and then running back to our dorms and packing more packs. And it got to the point where we like met with the owner of this FedEx store and he was like, well, I'll give you guys a volume discount and we can help you pack because, for him, you know, the, the, the employees aren't really doing much if it's not like lunchtime or the end of the day. Uh, that's when all the volume comes in and people dropping packages and doing things like no one's in there at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. doing like a bunch of, you know, bulk shipping. So it's an opportunity for him to make extra money. Okay. Um, that's actually really, um, that's really smart. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard it's, of any business doing that. There, there's all, yeah. one thing I've learned is like you, you, if you speak extensively to the vision you have, people who can fit themselves into that vision will tell you so. So if we're talking to this FedEx owner and we're saying like, yeah, we want to like run all these packs for shipping to five different countries or trying to print our own labels, like, but we're going to get to this point where we have our dedicated staff and then we have one place and we can refill wholesale volume through there and we don't have to go coordinate a bunch of people in and out different doors when the wholesale stuff arrives and then you run out of boxes and then you have to go recycle it somewhere. Like our operation is going to be in one place eventually. If I tell that to 10 different people and one of the guys owns a recycling plant and one of the guys knows to contract, you know, you know, manual labor for shipping, like they'll tell you that, right? Or if even if you have a friend who does that, right, they'll let you know. So like being very vocal about our vision, about what we were doing and about where we wanted to go sort of helped the people who could help us along the way present themselves to us, right? As opposed to working in a vacuum and then calling and like, you know, begging FedEx stores, let us sit in their back room, right? If you just call and say, hey, can I pack packs in your back room? It doesn't paint that vision for the person who has the asset, who has the back room to pack in. These faculty in the engineering departments, they don't want some 19-year-olds coming in at 3 a.m. and like, like clunking around their back office trying to pack packs, right? There's no value there. There's nothing. It's, yeah. just, it's just a liability, right? So at least if you can see, you know, paint the vision of some asset, it's, it's more useful. Yeah, that makes sense. You always have to add value in some way. For sure. Um, so another question for you, at what, or actually before I get to that, um, you said you had a launch day story. Like, oh, yeah, launch. yeah, yeah. Can you go elaborate on that? Yeah. So actually, like we, we were reaching out to all these blogs and all these 
cannabis, you know, places. Like we had this website, we knew it worked. Like we just needed volume now. Like we, we knew there was demand. We knew that it looked beautiful. Like it was ready. We could process payments. We just needed actually like volume on the site. So we email all these places and then the uh, CEO or the like chief editor of now this weed, right now this, the like media brand, they're like weed division on Facebook and Twitter and whatever. They had maybe 500,000 likes on Facebook at the time, right? This is like at this point, eight years ago, which is crazy. Um, they agreed to post like a video for us for free. Um, they just liked our story and they're obviously like their whole MO is looking for unique content. So the pull of the content was like, these two college kids are going to like go off and like make this weed company. And I can actually probably find the video. Um, so we're super, super excited and, and send them a bunch of B-roll. And we are literally like, there's a video of me opening packs like in slow motion. And like, you can literally see the like, the like rocks and leaves in the background are like from outside the dorms at UCLA. Like we were like grabbing, like just like random stuff in the gardens of, of like, outside of our dorm room to try and make these sets that looked nice and doing it in the lounges and like missing football games to record um which i actually yeah so anyway so we're recording these videos and we send it now this and then they go completely dark on us and they're not responding but they say they're gonna get a spot out and so we're kind of anxiously waiting and they say it's gonna be one day and it's not that day and when they say it's gonna be another day it's not the other day so then all of a sudden I, I think I had live notifications on my phone from like Google analytics of like when site traffic spiked. And I got a notification that was like, there were like 124 consecutive people on the website. And it's like 10 PM. I'm like, I think I'm out at a, at a dorm party or something. And I look and I like think that it's like wrong. So I, I open the analytics and yeah, sure enough, there's like, like the little map is like lit up all over the, the US and like maybe even the world of like these little dots. And then it like, I refresh, it's like 167. And I refresh, it's like 221. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I like call Justin. I'm like, Justin, I think that like the video went live or Justin calls me and it's like, oh my God, it did. And then our website's down immediately. Like we, we like the puffpack.com will not load. We can't refresh it because the site wasn't ready to take on that volume, right? So before you do a big launch like this, like you obviously need the servers to like pr prepare for like the volume going to the site. And for us, that's expensive to up like to maintain those like levels of, of server volume if you don't have people coming to the site so we had like the very minimum setting we could support like a few hundred on the site at once at most right and all of a sudden they're like thousands of people trying to get on the site so i remember like this horrible panic of like they launched the video so then we look and they launched the video that telling us so we're, we're refreshing the video it's like ten thousand views fifteen thousand views twenty five thousand views we're refreshing the the attempts to get onto our site which has like now gone to zero, but we could see before the site went down, it was like a hundred people, 200 people, 600 people. And like, we were like, oh my God, this is the big break we're missing. Like as we speak, like standing idly by, unable to do anything. So we like call Cloudflare, we call whoever our provider is. And they're like, yeah, if you guys want to go on like the emergency, like DDoS protection, something package, it's like 25K. We're like, no, we can't afford 25K. Like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And so I, I remember posting like every group chat I was a part of at UCLA, like, hey, I need someone who's good with computers to help us like reorient our servers to handle this traffic. Like anyone, please, I'll pay you $500. Like it was like the last money I had in my account. Um, and so I actually think so this is all happening at night. And I think that we didn't get anyone that evening. But the next morning, like like 6 a.m., right, 9 a.m. East Coast time, like I think one of our providers for whoever we we're using was able to like upgrade our site. So we missed like hundreds of dollars, but like not thousands or not tens of thousands. Um, sure. But that was like the, the pump we needed to be like, okay, this is valid. Because then all of a sudden you look at your, so then all of a sudden we start getting like checkouts and 
we didn't even have the inventory. Like we didn't even have like a bunch of stuff ready to sell. We had maybe 20 of each item and we had like hundreds of orders now. So for us, it was like, okay, now we have to go like beg smoke shops. They give us a discount deal. Like we didn't even have the money to go to wholesalers. We didn't have a thousand dollars. So I'd go to a smoke shop and be like, Hey, if I buy out every paper you have right here, like, could you give me like a half deal? Look, you buy them for 20 cents. You sell them for a dollar. I'll buy them all for 50 cents. You're still profiting. And like drive around these random like mom and pop smoke shops trying to like fill our back order of orders. But sure enough, as more orders come in, your checking account like gets the money in before you fulfill them. So then you have, you know, $10,000 sitting there and you can go spend 10K and, and start getting wholesale. Shit. So yeah, it's very stressful. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm still trying to have that moment with uh, my startup where it's like I wake up and I get a notification that, you know, $10,000 in my bank account. Um, so did like how far into the startup was this big launch? Like, like kind of giving mm. a timeline. If you could yeah, get it was, sales numbers too in the timeline, that would be cool. Yeah, it was way longer. Um, it was way longer than we thought it was going to be. So I think we started this like our freshman year fall. And I think it was like 10 months or maybe even, it might've even been that after summer break, uh, I have this very vague memory of like driving around with like, you know, the California, I think changed the laws for smoking tobacco to be 21 when I was in college. So I legally couldn't, like, neither of us could legally possess the pipes we were selling technically. So I remember driving around with like boxes and boxes of pipes and rolling papers and stuff, knowing that if I got pulled over, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I would have been fine. We could have talked ourselves out of it, but like, it was just stuff we weren't supposed to have. Um, but it must've been, it must've been like nine months uh, from like us starting the website to like getting to a place where it was actually functional. And then from there, maybe another three or four months until we we're actually processing volume. But I would say like, so I like, mean, so a full year before you, yeah, were... almost like a full year, um, okay. which is not bad. I, I think the key, like you don't necessarily look if, if there, there were a few other smoking boxes happening, like at the same time, there's one called hippie Butler. There's one called dollar high club, which was literally just a blatant ripoff of, of uh, dollar shave club. Right. I think they're actually still running. Let me see. Um, but anyway, the, the, the idea is like, it wasn't supposed to be this fast, get rich quick, like business turnaround thing. And I feel like when you have that mentality, the losses feel a lot bigger and the path ahead feels a lot rockier when you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to rip this wholesale Alibaba drop shipping thing. I'm going to throw up a website in a month and I'll turn it around and spend a thousand dollars on a Facebook campaign and see what happens. Right. Like we weren't going in with this mentality of like, a fast turnaround or anything. When we were talking to these, like now this, like when we when he asked now this to post the video, we weren't like, hey, now this, let's make a deal. We're trying to like launch the subscription box. No, it was like, hey, we're two 19 year olds. We really have this dream of like making like something that's sustainable on its own. We think that this is gonna be good for people. Like we painted that longer vision, which I think makes it a lot easier for people to buy into, right? And that kind of goes for everything we were doing. You know, none of it was supposed to be like a, a fast turnaround or a, or a quick, you know, whatever. Like we would, I'm trying, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Like we would be, we would be in it for the long haul, which meant any disruption or any missed sale or any like mess up on a provider side, on our side, on a marketing side, on shipping packs late, like 
nothing was existentially devastating because there was always the next step to do. Whereas if you put your eggs in one basket and you're like, oh, if this launch doesn't work, like that's like, it's the gimmick. It's almost like the gimmick factor. It's like, if the gimmick didn't work, the company's over. So I want to launch these, you know, these hats with the soda cans on the side and the, and the curly straw so I can drink it out of my head, right? Whatever. Like if that viral campaign doesn't work, that's an immediate tell that like this product isn't going to sell in theory, right? Obviously you could do 10 different things, right? But let's say you hit the right niche, you hit the right like efficacy of, of your ad and like, and you just don't get conversions. Then that entire landing page, that entire business, that entire idea, your wholesale sourcer of these hats, like that all just tells you like there isn't a business here. Puffpack, if we launched a website, called 10 influencers, all 10 said no, showed our friends and our friends were all like, well, we, we want to support this, but like, there's just, you know, I can just go to the smoke shop, right? That wasn't like the end of the business. It was like, okay, these influencers didn't get the sales pitch, right? These friends aren't the right demographic for us. But like, we knew that this subscription box existentially could undercut smoke shops. It could avoid legal parameters. Like there are all these things fundamentally about the business that would still succeed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a roundabout way to, of saying that like launching something that's meant to be sustainable will all will lead to a sustainable launch. Like will lead to a sustainable business. Launching something that's supposed to be like a one-off, the, the one-off, if it doesn't hit, if you don't, if you don't get that like lucky strike, then I mean, you know, where, where do you go from there? Right. You have to, you have to start a new business entirely. So I, I think that sustainable ideas are always like the important ones. I, I like that approach. Um, I have one kind of like question, final like technical question before I like kind of ask some like questions about after the startup. So at what point did you make an LLC and like go the legal route of getting a business bank account, all that stuff? We did it late and I was a stressed one because obviously you don't have an LLC, you're personally liable. And so we were doing volume um, without an LLC. And I think we had a mom email us like, hey, my 14 year old bought like a ton of like weed stuff from your site. And like, it was just an aggressive enough message to scare me, I think, into like going to the court offices, borrowing a car and like signing up for LLC. I mean, it's really easy. It costs like $40 and you need to post your company name and like some local newspaper probably costs like another hundred bucks. And then, and then you're like in theory protected. Um, so yeah, we did a, a standard LLC and split it 50-50 and then Justin ended up dropping out and like running much more of the company and definitely became like a, like a more committed advocate. So then we restructured the equity, add another business partner in, right? And it kind of like spirals from there. So the LLC is the starting point and then you're sort of in control of deciding what equity splits you want to do, how you want to contract people out. You go to a business checking account, we went to Wells Fargo. Um, overdrafted our account consistently. Like we would be making 50K in revenue in a month and spending 55K of revenue and overdraft 5K. Like, it, I mean, it was crazy. We, we frankly, we, we got investment from, uh, from a guy who Justin knew uh, and he cut us a check, uh, biggest check I'd ever seen um, for 25K for starting off. But I think that the real, uh, the real thing we needed was like a line of credit. Right. We just sort of like we sort of knew every wholesale item we were buying was going to get sold. So we, we just needed like access to capital. Uh, I just don't think we had that at the time. Yeah. That makes sense. So you had the you first made the LLC 
like late and then you made the business bank account after that but before that you were using a personal bank account yeah i think we were using a personal checking account okay. maybe we opened like maybe i used like my you know my savings account i moved all my personal money to my checking account and then our my savings account was like our quasi puff pack account right okay that makes sense so um just knowing we've talked about this before um i know your startup was then acquired at some point at what time mark was it acquired how did it get acquired and um what was it acquired for yeah i well we were in the company that acquired us reached out to us when Justin and i were still i think just splitting responsibility evenly and this company called manifest seven which essentially bought eventually bought puff pack i think reached out and offered us maybe a hundred k 125k and this is another good lesson where Justin and I had very different long-term visions of this business where I saw this come like through and through, which it actually was completely this for me as like a stepping stone into entrepreneurship. Like it was a low capital idea, low impact of the world, give us the ability to like strut our stuff and learn hard lessons. And like, if we had success, great, that nest egg was then going to propel us into like a larger, more impactful idea. But by the time you're processing, like, I think at our peak, it was like 9,000 subscribers. Average ticket was 20 bucks, right? I mean, it's a lot of annual revenue for a company. Uh, once you see those like numbers hitting, like I think at one point it was like 80K, 100K coming in a month for the business. It's really hard to, I think, turn that down. Um, so Justin really did not want to sell. And that was like, I think of everything, I think we aligned almost like perfectly the whole way through on everything. Like it was great. We would be like in screaming matches uh, in a hallway somewhere, like in our dorm about what we should do next and then take a lap and then breathe. And then we were good to go. Right. Uh, but, you know, eventually, so then we ended up not selling. Then that made me, so then Justin's vision for this company was a turn to a million dollar company. We're never going to sell. And then that wasn't sustainable for me. I was like, well, no, we, I, I, we can't be like packing packs all night, every day, forever, right? We we're still overdrafting our account, whatever. So at some point I like sold, you know, a portion of my equity and was, you know, staying on as like a semi. You sold it to who? Uh, some back to Justin and some to like two new partners who are coming on. Um, basically an investor wanted us to all be full-time to like give us more money, which we direly needed. And like I said, in hindsight, probably needed a credit line, but uh, either way, it was one of those make or break things where I was like, well, man, if I, if I go full time into this, like I'm giving up a lot in terms of my education, which the dropout dream was definitely there. And Justin did drop out. And I don't think you regret the second of it. And sometimes I would be in school, like, what am I doing? Uh, but in hindsight, I actually think it was the right choice for me as well. Um, so truly no regrets, I think on either side. But anyway, so we ended up not selling basically as they did Then God, maybe six, 12 months later, Justin texts me and he's like, okay, I think we're going to sell. So then this new offer had come through from the same company, which was a higher valuation of Puffpack because the company had continued to grow, but a higher cost of the stock options they were buying us with. So for our acquisition, it's like, as, as, as anything, some stock and, and some cash. So like, Nathan, if I want to buy a sweatshirt from you, I might only have $10 on me. But my clothing enterprise is going to be a $50 business. So I'll buy that sweatshirt for $20, $10 of cash, $10 of my future business. And the strike price of those options are 
whatever the market or the last round of investing has deemed. So Justin sold Puffpack uh, among everyone else to Manifest 7. Uh, I think they valued Puffpack like under a million dollars, but like at a, at a high number, um, definitely under like that, definitely a strong, like mid six figures, um, which was insane. It was like unbelievable for both of us. Like just even, I remember talking on the phone, I like pulled over into some parking lot in like NorCal and in Santa Rosa next to my hometown. And like, we were just like, I was like pacing around the park, like just like holding my hair, like, this is crazy. We're selling a business, like it's, it's nuts. But as these stories go, it like kind of has a poetic uh, sort of ending where we got like, uh, you know, five figures of cash. And then the entire six figure valuation came from stock options. And if you look up like Manifest 7 on the Canadian Stock Exchange right now, Puffpack is one of their subsidiary companies. And as I'm literally live looking at Google, their previous close was at, I I think this is one, two Canadian cents, maybe one Canadian cent. Um, Manifest 7 stocks, CAD. Uh, so the company, I think they valued our options at maybe, I don't know, three bucks, five bucks, and they were going to IPO at 10. Cannabis was booming. And then they finally IPO'd in October of 20 at 44 cents Canadian and immediately plunged uh, through 2021. And yeah, now they're trading at a flat two cents. Uh, with almost no volume. So, so Puffpack was a good deal for them to buy. because No, they... Puffpack as a business was not sustainable long-term. It, it, like I said, we were, we were scaling revenue, but we weren't improving margins. So every single pack we sold, it was like growth mode. We're undercutting, like we're building a subscriber base. We're undercutting smoke shops. We're trying to like develop this brand. We're, we're creating more partnerships. And like, that was all succeeding. But like this subscription box, you know, it, it, we weren't producing any of the supplies ourselves. Maybe if someone like, I was going to say smarter than us, but someone who had a, a stronger long-term vision wanted to launch like an independent brand of, of puff pack supplies and really develop the marketplace and try to create this like winner take most online smoking experience. You know, there's a world where that could have happened. Um, but at the state puff pack was in when they bought it, it was not there. And from what I can tell and the management of the company who bought us, um, I mean, the website's not even actually up anymore. Um, I, I just don't think that it, they, they, they took it anywhere. So that day that you, they agreed to acquire your company at for um, how much? You, you said it was like mid, mid six figs. Yeah. How, so how, how old were you when they agreed to acquire your company? For mm, it was 21, I think. Okay, that's crazy. Like as a 21 year old, were you just like, yeah. dang, I made it? Kind of. I, I thought it was going to be like a ticket out for lack of a better word. You know, one thing I've definitely learned in my now young adult life, kind of, you know, I'm 25 now. So I've seen more stuff kind of put the world in a little more context. Like capital is a mechanism for influence and change. Like, it, like just the possession of money doesn't change anything in your life, right? If you're like a degenerate, person who just like sits around all day on their couch and watches tv and like that's it right that's all you do you getting more money and fundamentally not changing those behaviors doesn't have any impact in your life right similarly if you have a big acquisition and like you're just going to save that money like yes don't get me wrong having a nest egg is insane and life-changing and like that knowledge alone can be really powerful but like getting money and like not using it to to do something else you know 
ignoring the fact that obviously it's good to have money to save and like to like be safe in that regard. But if you're not going to do something else, then why even have the money, right? It's like, especially at our age when you should be a little riskier, you should leverage these, this, the funds to do interesting things. So I was really excited at like, oh, now when I have an idea for like an upscale RV park, right? Which literally the van life has scaled and like RV parks haven't, right? They're all lame. Like I was 21, 22, like, oh my God, I can like, like leverage into some RV park, use like 50 grand, 75K, you know, get like a small business loan, just hold this cash flow generating asset, like have some land in some beautiful area and like just like one day play around with it, right? So that, that was the thing I was really excited for. And like that didn't like quite come to fruition. But the thing is about it not coming to fruition is like, I actually don't think the amount of money I would have gotten from Puffback, even if the IPO went great, like it wouldn't have been that level of, I mean, it would have been a level of freedom, but it, it wouldn't have been like a giant exit, right? It wouldn't have been like, oh yeah, I sold my, like when you read stories where it's like he sold his company at 21 and now he's like doing some crazy thing in the world. It's for people who start like lean SaaS B2B tech startups from a young age and are like heavy computer science and they sell it like, uh, a 50x revenue multiple and they're a 50% owner, right? Or a 30% owner diluted from VC. It's not like a direct-to-consumer brand that was given to like some holdings company. So there's there's levels to it, obviously. Yeah, there's levels to it. Um, so after this whole weed fiasco happened, you graduate from college, you worked at Visa for a few years, and now you work at um, Highline, Highline Capital, so it's, or no, just, just Highline, Highline Technologies. Hi, yeah, Highline Technologies. The, the, the technologies is very important. So people know, uh, people know tech comes first. Okay, um, important. So you have been working at the startup for two years now? A year, a year. Okay. And you're, you're one of the, are you like the 20th person or something? 26th person, right? I don't know if numbers are, I don't know. Numbers are so weird in these like tech startup, this tech startup world. Um, I was like, I don't know, 12th, maybe um, like ninth. I don't know. We have some contractors, but they're obviously like team members as well on paper. Maybe it's slightly different, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd say first 10, 12. Okay. Um, and so now you're kind of working at a startup, but it's still not really your own startup. Do you have any plans to, um, go back into the whole like founder startup space at any point in the future, or, you know, yeah, as so you're getting older, you uh, ask me that, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I think knowing the intent, like knowing your long-term goal matters. So like if you're saving money, it's a lot easier to save money because you know, you want this car or, you know, you want to go on this vacation or, you know, you want this house than it is to just generically have money in your bank account because that, that money in your bank account isn't actually like, it's not actually like a, a path to a, a future state that you want to live in. Similarly, Yes, starting a company is a crazy, fun, satisfying journey. And like, maybe one I will do again. Um, but at the same time, the like satisfaction of like starting a company and a lot of those variables also comes from having like a lot of agency in, uh, in a company that you're like a part of. So I wouldn't want to have joined when I was looking for a, a new tech company to join. I wouldn't have wanted to go into some like series C company, series D. Like you want to feel like you're building alongside a team that's building alongside you. Like it's a really powerful, it's a really powerful and gratifying experience to look to your left and right and to have people who are dedicated to the vision and are sharing this like future alongside you. And like the only thing that's stopping you from getting there is like the amount of work you do today. Because yeah. it sort of holds you all to a higher standard, which I think is really good for you on like a human level too, to be like held to that higher standard. 
So my answer would be like, right now I'm getting the gratification that I would get from starting my own company in, in Highline today. Um, and even more so, like, you know, this Highline is a company where I'm under people who are more experienced, smarter, more intelligent, just as capable as myself. So it's like, you know, there, you know, people always say like, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room or whatever. And like, I, I think for Highline, I mean, and for me, that's true. Like this, yes, you can, you know, when you're 22 or 23 or 25 or 28, you can have a sort of naive, high confidence conviction in the world that's like unfounded in true in true like reality like you can just be naive and you can be confident and that's frankly what i think is a big driving factor in a lot of tech companies going really far is they have founders who are hungry and voracious and like maybe a little naive so they raise money and they ignore the risks and they ignore the potential downsides and they just go for it right so that's a bonus of being young but a bonus of being young and being under smarter people is the principles and lessons of like building a truly sustainable business, which like Puffpack is not Highline is they're kind of like, they're kind of sewn into you without you even realizing it just by like osmosis or by like sharing these like teams and insights. So that's something I'm really enjoying right now. Truly is like, is like being able to share new learnings with people who I deem as smarter than me. That's awesome. Um, those are all the questions I had for you, Adam. Um, are there any kind of final closing advice to to young entrepreneurs that you would give to all the kids um, out there? Yeah, I think there's the so kids. much more. This is so funny because the podcast format is new to me. It almost makes me realize like the lessons you want to get out, you need to like you you I, I I almost could have left like a laundry list that I have in my notes of like these lessons that I want to instill in these short short thirty minutes. Um, no, I think the best way to get started is to get started. Uh, I think that a default to action is a very, very powerful state of being to live in where if you're starting a sticker business and you can spend 50 hours designing the perfect stickers and emailing every manufacturer and trying to talk to people what they like, or you can do a prototype design throw it to a random manufacturer, get the sticker in the mail and have it in your hand. Like just doing the action versus thinking about it and planning will make you realize, oh, the trim on these stickers is too thick or the pixelation of this image I printed isn't right. Or I see the color scheme that I had in my PNG file on my laptop doesn't translate to this glossy paper. Like there's certain things that like you can email and think and plan, but you don't really know until you do them. Yeah. Same with Puffpack. Like, oh, this idea sounds great in theory. Like, yeah, we get smoking supplies cheap. We send it to people. Like, we can plan and talk about the business model all you want. And you can reinforce the idea that subscription models are great and they're really sustainable. Well, it's not until you're actually doing it, you realize, oh, the plugin we use to recharge cards costs some money. Or we have to configure these different, you know, international shipping policies that are going to cut into the subscription margin. Like, it, like there's just things, problems that you, you can't anticipate until you're there, until you're, until you're sitting there solving them. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking and saw and trying to figure out and, and talking like sometimes just starting and just doing it will lead you to more lessons and lead you to undercover more problems that you didn't know you had than like any amount of planning can, can, could. Awesome. Well, yeah. good advice. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Adam.
I'm happy to do it, Nathan.